Raised on D&D Podcast helps to enrich your family's gaming experience by bringing you interviews with parents, educators, game designers, and influencers. Join us as we delve into the many ways that tabletop role-playing games inspire creativity, develop communication skills, and create long-lasting bonds among players. Your host has been an avid gamer since childhood, and now his kids are being raised on D&D. Here is your host, Nick Cardarelli. Welcome back, gamers. I'm your host, Nick Cardarelli, and this is Raised on D&D. My next guest is from Nova Scotia, Canada, but currently lives in the UK just outside of London. You know him as the host of You Should Have Been a Meat Shield, a D&D podcast set in Icewind Dale. He is also the author of the upcoming book, Let's Roll, a guide to setting up tabletop role-playing games in your school or public library. Please welcome Lucas Maxwell. Hi, Lucas. Hi, Nick. It's really great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited. I can't wait for the book to come out and get my hands on a copy. But before we jump into all of that, I've got to ask you, can you take us back to your very first experience with tabletop role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons? Absolutely. Um, probably like very similar to many people. I was about 12 years old and I had an older brother who got into it. And he said, come over to my friend's place. Uh, they were older. They were even older than him. So to me, it was like this inaccessible place this you know uh you never hung around with kids like uh you know 16 17 and they were playing D D, and it was the cliche in the parents basement i go down and there's posters of bands there that i had never seen before uh danzig um, there was like heavy metal music i didn't i didn't know anything about black sabbath iron maiden i just was not there yet and uh old metallica it just blew my mind these weird posters music it was very dark and gloomy and they were playing D&D and I got into it and I, I never forgot that moment of descending into that basement and playing that game even though it was obviously different rules uh, than we play uh, now but uh, or that I play now but it, it always stuck with me and from there I, I got into the books and I just became uh, obsessed with it absolutely <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. I remember the dark days of basements and secret <laughs> handshakes too. Uh, yeah. How does it develop from there? How do you go from this 12 year old hanging out with these older kids, <laughs> listening to their heavy metal music to you getting behind the DM screen and running them for yourself? Oh, that's a great question. So it took a while actually, because living in rural Canada, um, once those guys kind of went off on their own, has and became much older i found it very difficult to find a group of my own there wasn't anything at my school but i really got into um the old computer games champions of crin these old ad and computer games and i it never left me i always played and i would make my own and we would play games like games that were D D adjacent when with uh like my, the group of my friends like hero quest and things like that and i got the um uh i definitely would develop my own worlds and um obviously just got into all the books and then it really it's been in the last four or five years to get behind the dm screen that uh, where i became a school librarian here in the uk and there were students um asking about it and i just thought oh i know i haven't done that in ages and i, I looking back like i said i've been reading those books forever and still they always stuck with me so i decided um you know i'll see if there's an interest here a couple of students had asked and 
the response was just unbelievable. They just came in droves to play this game. So I've become a DM and since it's kind of like splintered off with, with other teens now DMing their own campaigns. So it's been quite a wild journey in the last four or five years. <laughs> that is incredible. Can you share with us how that initial students coming up and saying, hey, does the library have any Dungeons and Dragons books? How, how did that happen? Yeah, it was uh, one student um, in particular, and he asked me, um, do, do you ever play D&D? And I said, yeah, I haven't played in ages. Well, do you want, can we start one? And he wanted to be the DM. And I looked online and got the starter set and and I just bought it. It's not very expensive and it is really good as you probably are aware. In my opinion, it's good. It's got a great quest in there. It's got ha- uh, pre-made sheets. As I started to read through, I said, oh, it's so much simpler than I, when I played when I was that 12 year old kid, it's so much, they've, they've streamlined it. Some people maybe don't like that, but I, I really liked it for my kind of my lack of time in the library as an adult. Um, and I immediately set it up and yeah. And then from there, I, I've gone down the, the, the rabbit hole uh, of buying all the books as, as many as I can, all the expansion books and, and the kids, um, absolutely love it. I have a cupboard now dedicated to D and D in the library and they're just, they just go to it like a tractor beam every day. So it's amazing to see. <laughs> that is amazing. The students, they brought you back into not only the hobby, but then kind of forced you behind the screen as the responsible adult, right? And so you have created this safe place in the library for gamers. Walk us through the process. How do you approach the school about we're going to have a D club for the students great question and uh i was very i'm very fortunate in the school that i um that i work at and it took me a long time to realize that i i was in actually quite a unique school we are a um a public school in uh, in south london we have 1800 kids ages 11 to 19 they don't really have junior or middle high middle grade schools in the uk from age 11 to 19 you're in what they call high school all together and 1800 kids for me is massive like growing up in nova scotia there was ages 5 to 18 and we had less than 250 kids in one building it was so small so it's massive but um, i'm in a unique position and um, that the the head teacher or principal um, from day one said your job is to make kids fall in love with reading he kind of introduced me that way when I first started and I didn't it took me a while to realize that that's very kind of rare here in the UK and maybe elsewhere as well I know in Canada it's starting to become rare and I didn't really have to ask permission for it um I kind of went backwards after the program became massive which didn't take long and just showed them look this is happening and it is really cool and now i've got teachers involved i've got um of course so many students and everyone's aware of the as this huge presence in the school now which is really cool and um yeah that's kind of how the book evolved to be honest that is <laughs> incredible you know my wife and i we introduced role-playing games to our children very early on And one of the reasons we did that is we saw the benefits of the bonding, not only between the dungeon master and the players, but also the players sharing an adventure together. And that's been a major component. And of course, there's all the educational benefits that go along with that. And that that love for reading, that love for learning, that is kind of a byproduct of the game. Um, It's not really intended for that, but 
that's what happens when they start asking those questions like how does a catapult work and how heavy is chain mail and things like yeah. that suddenly they find themselves googling and going to books and trying to be inspired for not either for their own character or then uh, at budding dungeon masters need to know these things so they can make rulings things like that what are some of the benefits that you have firsthand seen uh, introducing Dungeons and Dragons to your students uh, that have been participating there at the library. How I started writing the book was me tracking some of the things I saw when a student asked me, one of our regulars asked me, is D&D on today? And I said, oh yeah. And she said, um, oh good. And she made this kind of like just an offhand comment as she walked by me, you know, it's the only thing I look forward to in the day. And I was like, oh man, I never thought of it like, like that. And I love doing it, but it, to me, it's like, it's a program, I'm running it. And for someone who's maybe students who aren't having great experience at school, D&D is um, first thing. It's um, something that is called um, behavior activation, which is essentially a fancy way of saying they know no matter how uh, rubbish or garbage their day or week has been, they know Wednesday uh, from one to two, they're going to have fun. It's scheduled fun. And they're going to have it again on Friday because I run it twice a week. And that's one thing um, that's, Meant they know that the, on those days they're going to have nothing but fun in a safe environment where there's no judgment. It's just there's no consequences and stuff like that. Um, the other thing I've noticed uh, is what you just mentioned is the, the kind of uh, benefits to uh, reading for pleasure and literacy. I've got other students who are being uh, in campaigns that are run by uh, another team now. And th they've started when they were 12 and now they're uh, 14 and if you ask them, probably if you even ask them now, if you just stop them in the hallway and ask them what they think about like reading for pleasure, reading for fun, they probably would still tell you they don't like reading books. But I guarantee you they're in every single day pouring over the monster manual, the player's handbook, uh, debating this and that. They're creating backstories. They are reading voraciously. It's kind of like this guerrilla style reading for pleasure initiative <laughs> where they don't realize for the, how much they are reading and taking in, how creative they are being. Uh, and so there's definitely something that I noticed. These are kids that I struggled to get a book into their hands for two or three years. And now they, I don't need to, cause they're going to that D and D covered and just reading everything. Um, and in other ways, I can see that it is a way for students, the students who started that I've DM'd when they start, uh, when they started with me were 13, they're now um, verging on 17. And we've done um, a series of campaigns together. They are an extremely tight knit group who are, um, they weren't at the start, they weren't really all friends. And now they are extremely close. They come together in one group to the library. Um, they have learned things like um, empathy, where you are putting, literally putting yourself in someone else's shoes, sometimes another race, sometimes another creature. And they have learned, uh, of course, team building. Uh, they are very, very aware that they need to work together and that we're all in this together. Um, it is this kind of unique shared experience that I can't, it's really hard to put your finger on how important it is. And I've been working with teens in libraries for over 15 years, and I've never really had a program before where they never miss a session. They will never miss one session. And when if, and if I, like just last week, I had this, cancel one because of something I just couldn't avoid and they were not happy <laughs> you know <laughs> so um it builds empathy it's a morality 
training ground they learn that there are consequences to actions it's a way for them to express their own fears and anxieties through their characters they learn teamwork uh, they are being ex- ridiculously creative and uh, uh, to know that they can exist in this world where there are no real life consequences in where there's no judgment um, and they can do voices and things like that I've seen students now who are becoming uh, DMs uh, their confidence has grown they're learning to speak publicly it kind of forces you in a way to speak out loud in a group and uh, learn to be um, mindful of other people's uh, wants and dreams and be respectful of other people as you go around the initiative order and you try to work together and it's um, it, it teaches you uh, selflessness as well uh, I've seen all these be- benefits just kind of like one after another that I just was tracking them and that's again that's why I decided I have to write all this stuff down <laughs> all these little anecdotes <laughs> uh, I think the part that so many people just don't understand when they haven't experienced it, when they haven't had it, haven't tried it, they haven't watched it. They just don't get that this little hobby of rolling math dice uh, with pencil and paper around a table, telling stories and playing make-believe have all of these beautiful benefits that help round these people out into better adults and i I think i think that was one of the things that really made me and my wife excited to introduce that to our family because we didn't have programs like that uh 10 11 12 years ago no so you've said the program has grown significantly you've got teens running games now you got other teachers running games (laughs) tell us what size group was it of these kind of lone wolves coming into the library and how has it mushroomed about how many students now are participating from from five years ago so yes from around four or five years ago it started uh with six students and we then um went into lockdown like a lot of areas did and or the whole country here in the uk did and I immediately continued it. We were doing lessons, like classes still over virtually. So I thought, oh, I'll just keep doing, do you guys just want to keep doing D&D over the MS teams that we had? And I, they were like, of course. So we did it over um, uh, Microsoft Teams. I booked it on their lunch breaks. And, and uh, we just did it all theater of the mind. No video pure audio and just me describing what's going on eventually sometimes i would like share a, a picture or a map or something but it was completely there was no roll 20 we weren't doing any of that stuff there you know and um so it started with those six once we got out of lockdown they were immediately asking we need to keep doing this campaign we were doing um storm king thunder and it we it was ridiculous it was hilarious so and uh, they what happened after we came out of lockdown was people started to come to say what is going on because they could hear us in the library doing this it was just they were just having so much fun so we started to get an audience and the audience began to grow so much so that my colleague in the library was saying we had to we had to like we saying to me we have to move the shelves to fit this D&D because it was almost like these they had just they had like rows of seats and they were watching it was like some weird uh convention event or something i couldn't describe it so one of the other one of the uh players said uh i've made my own adventure i said oh well look at all these people here watching let's uh do you want to run it with them so then they set up she set up uh, a program with uh, six more that got six more going um during another lunch hour then one of those 
kids made their own and he runs it after school. And then one of those have made another and they have run it on another day after school. So this is, this is the weird little uh, uh, gremlin style exploding of, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's just so it just keeps growing and growing. So from six uh, kids, sometimes five, there was one who was off and on. Now he's per- completely hooked. Um, it's grown from six to about uh, 50 and I've got a, wow. um, yeah, and I'm doing like a, a dungeon con in in uh, on a Saturday because I've got so many who want to just do like um, a one shot, but we don't have time during the regular work week. So we're going to do one on a Saturday in February where we're all groups of like groups of six, uh, eight groups of six in the library. We're going to do the same one shot throughout the day and see how we see what happens. It'll be complete chaos, but it'll be hilarious. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's grown to about 50 kids, which is amazing. I love it. And they, they range from age 11 to 18. And that's another thing. Uh, sorry for for probably stepping on your next question, but um, when you're when I was in high school, at least, and I know this happens even today, when you're 11 or whatever, like when I was 11, we did have 18 year olds in the school, and you never hung around them really. I mean, I did my example with my brother, but that was a very contained environment. You usually stayed away from them. There was a senior wing. Um, you could get your, you could get picked upside down and get your head stuck in a toilet. I mean, that was what happened back then. You can't, I can't even believe that stuff happened, but it did. And you just stayed away. It was like danger zone. Um, but we have with D and D you've got 18 year olds, uh, it's 14 year olds and 11 year olds, all at the same table, laughing, talking, creating characters, you know, ribbing each other about what's happened. Um, there's none of that, that social, what I always call like social barbed wire is all stripped away because of this game that they, that they they've all come together to play, uh, in the library in a completely safe environment. <laughs> I, I think that is incredible because that's a part of it that you don't really think about is the fact that it tears down those invisible walls that are created between students of different grades or different age groups. And I think what's wonderful about that is your game tables are creating new game masters, which means there's a lot of mentoring going on there. There isn't you're a an underclassman or a freshman. And so because of that, we're going to treat you different. Instead, you have these folks who are taking on the role of dungeon master and then they're they're empowering the players to do it themselves. And that shows a successful program, not only spreading the joy of Uh, role-playing, but also spreading the skill sets that come along with it. So that is just amazing. Yeah, thanks. Lucas, I wanted to ask you about your podcast, about uh, You Should Have Been a Meat Shield. And can you just briefly tell us how you got inspired to do the podcast and where the name came from? Excellent. The, thanks. The name came from a student and I, I still give that student complete credit. Uh, I decided whether uh, foolhardy or not the second. So we did Storm King Thunder with the students the first time around. And then the next time around, I gave them an option. Which one do you want to do? I do the pre-made ones just because of my lack of time for homebrew. But uh, they voted on uh, Tomb of Annihilation, which I said, that's great. And then I then I read through the adventure. I, sh- and I should have read through it first because it is brutal. I don't know if you- I won't spoil it for anybody, but I did tweak it quite a bit. It is at the, the last 
half of it is absolutely brutal. It's essentially a dungeon crawl that can take months and it is, it is really, really tough. But anyway, besides the point, but they loved it. And um, there was a, that's where I got the title from. Uh, this would be a long story. Sorry. They, um, <laughs> there was uh, a druid, there was so there's a scene in the in, there's a section in the uh, in the tomb where they are fighting these things called uh, bodax, which are these horrible creatures that can like elongate their mouths. I think they can um, paralyze you from a distance. They're awful. They're really scary things, kind of like from the movie the the ring or something like a creature that just scares, <laughs> terrifies you to death almost. Um, and these things are like crawling out of this uh, this mouth, this like statue's mouth, and. Um, they are in trouble. There's a druid who is not near the scene of this battle, and they are losing horribly. And one of the um, one of the uh, fighters or somebody just yells to this druid, um, "You need to come here and be my meat shield uh, because I need to get away from this." It was like there was this whole complicated thing, but they were yelling at him, and he decided to go off on his own adventure, not knowing that um, there was there was an aboleth in the lake which is this whole another horrible monster that can like par- like charm you and stuff like that so he decides to turn it wild shape into a, a dolphin and swim along and of course he gets charmed by the uh, the aboleth and he gets, starts to get like dragged down into this horrible lake and they were so upset that he didn't help them with the bodax they, she stood up and she slammed her hand down on the table and she just yelled, uh, you should have been a meat shield. I told you to be my meat shield. You don't listen to me. And they got into this little argument, uh, but it was all in good nature and they were laughing about it. But I couldn't get that phrase out of my head. You should have been a meat shield as she screamed it out into the library and everyone, everyone else who was like doing work and on the computers at the library looking over going, what is going on? <laughs> but um, sorry for the long story, but that's where it came from. Uh, and then it just stuck with me. And then I just decided, I thought it would be cool if I did a one-shot podcast with some fantasy authors here in the UK. And um, I just, I just thought it'd be cool. I just thought I would like to give it a, a try. I had been, I played some uh, role 20 with some other adults and really enjoyed it. And these authors are amazing. Um, Ali Fawkes, Grania O'Brien, Alex Dunn, Dave Rudden. They're from Ireland here and here in uh, here in uh, England. And they write great fantasy novels, uh, great mystery novels and um, other other novels, I should say. But um, um, <laughs> what happened is uh, I did the I did what I thought might be a one shot, but I, I loved it so much. And I think they enjoyed it as well. We just kept doing it. So now we've been doing it for a while now since uh, since July. And it's set in the Icewind Dale. And um, it's really fun. Uh, and I do it. We try to run it every Sunday, but uh, it is uh, a huge amount of fun. They are they are really amazing people. So uh, I, I really uh, thank thank them for for continuing to play the game with me because it's uh it is silly and funny but it is a huge amount of fun so that is a very long way for <laughs> to get this to get the name of that uh, podcast but um thank you for asking the question <laughs> that's terrific so it's an actual play we can listen to you guys game and uh follow your adventures in the Icewind Dale is that right 100 that's correct yeah and what and where can folks find uh you should have been a meat shield podcast yeah. Yeah, you can find that wherever wherever you get your podcasts. Anywhere really on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts. It's kind of like a sub podcast of of a of a library one that I run called the Portable Magic Dispenser. So when you see that, you'll see it. But uh, um, on Twitter, uh, we have a uh, it's on 
through our uh, account. So uh, I'm just Lucas J Maxwell on Twitter, shameless plug. And uh, I, I'm constantly posting about it and, and talking about it. So uh, yeah, thank you for the, for plugging it. It's a lot of fun and I hope it's fun to listen to because there's a ton of uh, silly puns and jokes and it's not like we're not taking ourselves seriously, but it is, they are advancing through and it does get dark, but it is, uh, there's always, uh, there's always a 90% humor in there. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, so Lucas, so all of the starting in that basement in Nova Scotia, <laughs> now we're podcasting, we're writing books, we're uh, creating whole new generations of gamers. Lucas, tell us about Let's Roll. Um, this book is to help both educators and librarians create similar program to that successful program you're running there in the UK. Tell us about the book. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, the book, um, the, as I said, the book came about from uh, a student's kind of um, display of how much she loved D&D. And I kind of got some testimonials from students um, after that, as I was I was lucky enough to talk about D&D &D as a conference here in the UK. And I just said, you know, it'd be good to get some student testimonials. And what they said was really um, touching and nice that, you know, that, they, they kind of echoed what we've talked about. They, they say things like the library is a safe place for me. Um, the group feel, makes me feel safe. And, and um, they use that word a lot and how comfortable they are. So then from that, uh, from those kind of student testimonials, I thought, you know, there's something here where um, I'm seeing all these things happen. I'm running it pretty much similar like everybody else runs D&D, &D, but I am doing these I'm getting a lot of um, uh, questions about how it works uh, from from other librarians on Twitter and Instagram and things like that. I, so I started to just bullet point on a on a on a Microsoft Word thing, and I I just said, wow, there's a, there's a lot here. A in like how I set it up, um, how. I thought, well, if I couldn't, if I was having maybe pushback from management on it, or they they weren't sure why we should run it, here are all the things I could give to somebody because I did have a librarian ask me, you know, what, how can I present this to my manager to uh, uh, to try to get D and D in the library? And I was like, well, you don't really need to spend a lot of money, really. Uh, you can get the starter set. You've got tables and chairs. You've got people. Here's how I, um, even though I didn't really need to promote it too much, here's how you could promote it. And I just started to write it out. And my, my, honestly, my whole thought was, I'm going to put this on. I have like a, a library blog that I write about just stuff. I'm just going to put everything on there and, or I'll do a, like a podcast on it or something. And I just happened to see on uh, Twitter that um, Facet Publishing, who are part of the American Library Association there in the US, um, were just open to pitches for library based stuff and i said oh i'll pitch uh i'll just oh, i had it already i just i'll just pitch this thing and um amazingly enough peter baker who uh is also a DD fan he was the the contact he got right back to me met with me on on zoom and just said um i want to do this and i couldn't believe it it was like it was so fast so um but i had a big chunk of it already because um i had been writing stuff for ages on why it was amazing how i run it um i'd been talking to people and then i just didn't shut up about it on twitter and like on the con you know i was going to conf i couldn't like i keep saying um if you had told me even like four years ago five years ago that i would be 
a writing a book and going uh, going to i just recorded a whole thing for a conference in new orleans uh from the american library association on it you know a whole half an hour on it and uh i just would i wouldn't believe you if you said i was going to be doing this stuff because i love the game but it's been so fast all this stuff um and that's um why i wrote it i i really had this genuine uh, i i viewed this genuine uh need um that, that from other librarians and other teachers and stuff on on mainly on Twitter who were genuinely kind of like feeling uh, overwhelmed by the whole thing. And I thought, I, I really hope that the book helps people with that, you know, reducing that feeling because that's how I felt. But as you get into it, you realize you don't need to feel that way because uh, you can you can run it however you want to run it, and you can uh, it can be your your special thing with, the, with you can tweak it to the way that fits your your life in the library. Really, <laughs> Lucas, thank you so much. I love everything you just said, and it is it's incredible. I I I am just overwhelmed by the uh, by the guests that I've had here on Raised on D and D who in the last five ten years have just kind of been swept up in the the popularity of tabletop role-playing games uh one one internet personality says that it is a renaissance of the game that we're going through and i think it is the best time to be a gamer and the the fact that you have 50 students in just your one school creating not only fans not only players but dungeon masters as well we know that moving forward, the game is only going to get better and it's going to be utilized in so many more ways. Um, the, the, the guests that I've had have talked about the educational implements, the mental health implements, uh, the, uh, the, the way that tabletop role-playing games can be used in so many different ways to help so many different people has just been incredible. And I'm so glad that your story is added to all of that, because what I want is I want someone to be listening who works in a school, works in a, a, a youth, a youth group like area works in education and says, you know what? We can do that. It has all these benefits. I'm the person to implement it. Let's let's make it happen. And I hope that your incredible example and your uh, amazing manual that you're going to publish is going to inspire all over the world, educators, librarians, parents, and people who work with youth to reap the benefits of this game that started 50 years ago uh in little lake geneva wisconsin so uh it just just phenomenal now we talked about the benefits that you've seen um through with the children and uh and that's not hard to get people on board with but with schools and libraries one of the things that really uh is uh is a is a bit is a commodity that they can't get enough of is time. Yeah. It's time and obviously the budget. Now, obviously, we've talked about, you know, tabletop role-playing games can be as expensive or inexpensive as you like, uh, depending on how many bells and whistles you want, right? But what about the time factor? When when grown-ups play, when we played when we were teens, it was four hours, six hours a weekend, right? 
So how do you suggest educators and librarians work within that little bit of time that they're given for these kind of programs? Um, excellent question. And that's, uh, that's a huge, that's the thing that I definitely struggle with. There's no, there's no magic answer, but what I do is, so for, for me, it's not too uh, hard in many ways because I really love the game. So if you um, are, are into it, a player, it won't, this won't be in my opinion, too much of a challenge, but what I do is um, I do a few things that help me with time. So every time we have a session, I, I send um, uh, an email update to the students. We have a little, uh, just an email group at school and bullet point what happened, what just happened in that session. And I do that for a few reasons. A, it helps me remember because I am DMing a couple other things. Um, and I have like a loot tracker for them because the, the, the nature of teens is that sometimes they lose their sheets. Sometimes they forget their sheets. Sometimes they, um, sometimes they forget what, uh, maybe happened in the last session and that's just the way it goes so i have this at the ready that they can access and they do read the the updates um and this is like a complete side path but i'm turning these updates uh into like a little novel that i'm going to give them as a surprise at the end of the year based on their adventure um and so that's one thing but that helps saving time and helps them I always remind them, you know, the day before, whatever, oh, just read the update. And therefore that saves time around the table at the very start. The other thing is that saves a lot of time, in my opinion, is to, uh, I mean, once you're in the game, this will become, you know, evident, but to, is to display on a flip chart, uh, the initiative order, which maybe you don't do in with adults. Um, I only play with adults on roll 20, so it's always displayed, but um, displaying the initiative order uh, saves a lot of time because I say, okay, you're up and I point around the table, you're on deck. And that saves so much time when you're working with teens, because what happens is just the, the nature of them, they, uh, they may get distracted or they may forget when they're up and they don't have their action planned in their brains. Uh, but if you have it always at the ready, um, you, that saves you a ton of time. And a few minutes or not a few minutes, maybe an hour before the session uh, or when I have a free moment, which can be rare before the session. If I know that they're going to be up against a certain monster, I pre-roll all the initiatives for my creatures. I have everything ready. Um, and I, I kind of like try to um, reduce the amount of me um, talking about uh what am I trying to say? Talking about the scenery or talking about the NPCs, um, doing long uh, <laughs> expositions about what's happening. I save that for the updates on the emails. So I will tell, I'll give them the gist of it and I'll say, look, wait for the updates. So that's kind of this little trick I've learned. Um, they get the gist of it, but then in the update, I give them maybe more information that they, and then what I see them doing is coming in on days that we don't have sessions and they're sitting around tables. They're probably supposed to be doing other homework, but they're sitting around <laughs> plotting. Okay. Mr. Maxwell said this and that helps them. So it is like a little bit, not, a, I wouldn't call it a cheat, but it's like a little bit of a, of a, just a way around to, to shave time off as much as possible. So especially in combat, which can take ages, but also just to keep everybody moving, um, especially if one NPC is talking to one or two players and the other four are off doing something else. Um, 
so it's like a constant switching back and forth um, and really just giving them the bullet points and then and then saving the longer stuff that is important to the campaign, but uh, um, may eat up a lot of time, save that for the updates. And they don't really respond to me via email. I let them respond in person. But in that moment, it does save a lot of time. We get about 45, 50 minutes, which isn't a long time for D&D. So um, I, that's one. Those are the ways I do it. I, I pre-roll the initiative. I display the initiative. Um I don't allow, um, uh, not that I don't allow, but what I'll do is, I shouldn't have said that really. Um, what I do is even in situations that we aren't in combat, I won't make them roll initiative, but I will go around the table uh, turn-wise. So there's not this kind of like crosstalk uh, chaotic thing, which can happen. And it does generate really cool things. But when we're like, okay, you're in the town, you see these shops, bang what do you want to do <laughs> what do you want to do what do you want to do and they if if they split up that's fine but it really just having a turn order around the table um uh saves a lot of time and i talk about this in the book that um i can't express how enough how important a session zero is uh with the students to sit down okay this is like with um uh with the tomb of annihilation Look, it's going to be jungle based. It's going to be extremely hot. Lots of bugs, lots of creatures, lots of horrible things are going to happen. Uh, this is the basis of it. That really saved a lot of time with um, them developing their characters. And I print off their character sheets, make copies, and I have that at the ready. Because again, if they forget, or if, uh, especially with the spellcasters, if they um, if they have a big myriad of different spells, I have those spells printed off and at the ready, so I don't I don't have to flip through if they forget their sheet. Um, I just have those at the ready. I know exactly what our wizard can cast, how many spell slots she has, etc. Um, you will uh, find yourself doing that kind of like maybe work that you wouldn't do if you were with adults, but it's more than worth it. And um, it, it does just kind of like save you little precious moments here and there. <laughs> Lucas, I, I can't agree with, with you more. Those are excellent tips. I think those are terrific. I use some of them even with my children and with my own home tables. And I think that what, what is even more incredible is the fact that you are basically training these students to run efficiently, run uh, in time crunches and uh, showing them, look, if somebody doesn't know what their spell does, don't spend 20 minutes looking yeah. it up or arguing about it. Have it right there, pull it out of the folder, hand it to them. Let's keep it moving. And that yeah. is so critically important, I think, to a... a to players having a wonderful experience around the game table. Lucas, yeah. I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Uh, we're so, so excited about the work that you're doing there at your school in England. Well, we can't wait to listen to you should have been a meat shield podcast and all your adventures with those uh, talented authors there in the UK and in Ireland and definitely cannot wait for the book being released. So the book is coming out. When is it coming out, Lucas? Tell us when we're going to be able to get our hands on this book. Uh, you can pre-order now, and it's uh, but it is coming out on the, on the March the 16th with um, American Library Association Publications in the U.S., Facet out in the U.K. Uh, yeah, the March 16th, it'll be out and ready to go. <laughs> and where, really where, is, where is it available to pre-order online? Right, pre-order online. If you are on Twitter, 
you can simply find me uh, at Lucas, L-U-C-A-S-J Maxwell, and it's a pinned tweet right at the top. You see the cover of the book, click the link, takes you straight to the pre-order uh, page. If you're just on Google, you can just simply type in Lucas Maxwell, let's roll, and it will come up on the ALA page as well. So that's the best place really to find it at the moment. And uh, it's already there. It's ready to go. <laughs> and I want my listeners to also know that I went ahead and looked for it myself and was able to find it both on Amazon and at Books Million for pre-order. So make sure you guys are checking that out. And uh, Lucas, what's the website that we can follow you at and get these updates of what's uh, what you're doing there with your students and uh, and hopefully for future books? Yeah, um, the website, the best website to find me at is um, uh, one, the one that I run through the through the library, really, because it talks a lot about um, the benefits of D&D, other library initiatives and other things that I'm doing in the library world. Um, and the, the name of the library that I work at is called Glenthorne High School. And it's just a blog spot. And uh, it's it's literally um, Glenthorne. So if you just uh, Glenn with one N, Thorn with, with an E, <laughs> dot, uh, or Glenthorne uh, LRC. Uh, for learning uh, learning resource center so glenthornlrc.blogspot.com <laughs> fantastic helps. that does help and uh to help our listeners out more we're going to put that link right in the show notes on raisedondnd.com so you, you guys don't have to try and write that down just visit the <laughs> website and we'll give you a link okay so lucas again fantastic amazing stuff so excited and uh i've got my pre-order coming to me so i cannot wait to get my hands on the book thank you so much for being on the show today nick it's been a huge pleasure and i really appreciate all of this opportunity to speak to you today thank you so much thank you for joining us on another episode of raised on dnd podcast be sure to subscribe and follow on all your favorite apps and social media